clave. Suena el bombo. Ando tumbado que el ritmo lo pongo yo. Pops and the Rips. Pops and You have a good dinner? I did, and then I had to do a marketing call, and it's like, oh my god, it sucked the life out of me. I'm telling you, I just, I hate it with a passion. Well, it's a good thing, you know, you've got a... <laughs> You've got like 35 seconds before we actually start up, so you can, you know, you can readjust. He's really bent that yet. And get that, uh, <laughs> get that out of your blood, because... I know, I got... Oh, okay, alright. And if you're, if you're ready, then we can, uh, we can get in. things rolling here. Sure. Well, hey everybody, it's the, uh, it's the Pops and the Reekin show, and uh, I'm Pop. And I'm the Reekin. And that makes us the, do the Pops, Pops and the Reekin show. Yeah, yeah it's, a, it's crazy how that happens. Yeah, it works. Um, I don't know, <laughs> it seems like every time we do this show, it feels like I say the same thing. Uh, yeah, every time. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, maybe I should change it up. I'm the Reekin. No, I don't feel like that. That I'm ain't the, gonna work. Um, anyway, hey, uh, we are joined uh, today for uh, Pops and the Reekin. Uh, we're joined by uh, a friend of ours uh, yeah. that we've uh, we've gotten to know through the Christian Comedy Association. Yeah. Uh, and uh, gotten to know him, and we've become friends over uh, over the years. Uh, enough that he actually was silly enough to say, "Yeah, I'll take a phone call from that fat, From ugly, tooly guy." <laughs> uh, so let the pops call. Let and call. so uh, we're joined by uh, phone Skype today. Uh, by our good friend Robert G. Lee. Yeah. Welcome. Welcome to the Pops and the Reekin Show. Thank you very much. And I know you guys are Hoosiers, or at least you're from Indiana, and that's where I hail from originally. So it's you know I'm out in L.A. right now, but it's, I, I feel a bond. Awesome. And uh, even though you're in L.A., you're out there in that left coast. Yeah. Uh, we'll if you know if you get back over here to Hoosier Land, we'll take you in like you're one of our own. Yeah, and which we you know we we may treat you differently than our own, <laughs> but we'll take you in just we'll like you're just, one of ours. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> so uh, talk about me when I leave. I understand. <laughs> I, I know the way it works. Well, if if you're from Hoosierville, you know that's how we do it. So <laughs> so uh, Robert, let me ask you this. Uh, how how did you get started in comedy? Give us a little history Just lesson little about bit, yeah. uh, the the comedy life of Robert G. Well, um, it, I mean it's a long storied career, but uh, I, I was lucky enough to make my living as a TV warm up comic from the very start. So I've been doing this for thirty three years now. Uh, how I started, uh, boy, I mean Dennis, I don't know if you can relate to it or Steve. I, I, just, I knew from the beginning that I I looked at life differently. And it's a joke I used to tell that um, I, I saw Bill Cosby, but you can't talk about Bill Cosby anymore because, you know, he's one of the um, forgotten people. Uh -huh. But, um, you know, I, I, I had every single record album he had. Then, you know, junior high was George Carlin. Then it was Woody Allen. Then it was Monty Python. I, I couldn't ask girls out. I was too shy. So I'd go to the movies by myself and watch comedies. You know, my life was just immersed in comedy. Yeah. And I started making a living at it when I was um, just not... I went to film school, you know, plugged away, tried to get that going, 
but then I just I fell into back into comedy, and it's always been stand up comedy. No matter what I do, I always come back to stand up comedy. Wow. Uh, so um, fortunate enough, as I said, out here I had a family. Uh, well, not had it sounds past tense. I have a family. <laughs> They're just the, the, the kids are growing and out of the nest now. But I, I didn't want to go on the road because of that because I had two kids. Uh, so I, I fell into TV warm up comedy, and that's the thing where they. You don't build a huge career out of it, but you can make a living at it. Um, and mm. it's, it's really nice. It's great money, but you don't build up a name. So what I found now is after doing it for 30-some years, I have the material. I can go out in front of an audience anytime, but nobody knows who I am. So there are pluses and minuses because everybody is on a different trajectory. But I started off on shows like, I mean, I started on Golden Girls, Designing Women, Perfect Strangers, uh, Family Matters. Did the pilots of Frasier and Everybody Loves Raymond. I worked on Old Christine. Right now I'm doing uh, One Day at a Time. And that was on Netflix, but it just got picked up today. So we're very happy about that. Wow, awesome. Yeah, uh, so it's been a very interesting career. But uh, the bulk of what I've done is is TV warm-up. I I, I wrote Veggie Tales for about 10 years. Every time they'd make a movie, I'd write Veggie Tales because they were looking for people who had a Monty Python sensibility, but still understood the Bible, so that was my niche. Um, I did a faith-based film that made, I think, three dollars so far, so that's, been, that's done very well. Yeah, it's, uh, it's taken uh, off like a uh, rocket. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're hoping for four. <laughs> we got goals. We got goals and aspirations, people. Yeah. Wow, that's awesome. I, I like the, the fact that uh, this is different because of the fact you have experience uh, doing TV shows, war- TV warm-up, and so I was—I'm curious as to what's the difference between that versus like a comedy club. Oh, it, it's absolutely huge. What the main thing you have to have is a total lack of ego, and it, it mm. really—it's it, hard to do because you are subservient to the show. Now, when you do a club, yeah, yeah you start off as a. You do 10 minutes, you do 15 minutes, you work your way up to a headliner, and you build your material. It's about your life. It's about your experiences. You learn how to get that ebb and flow of working with the crowd, hitting them hard. I mean, I like to do very fast-paced comedy. But in a club, that's one thing, and it works in a club. When you do TV warm-up, it's not about you. I I rarely do any material. When people hear TV warm-up, they think, okay, you're going out, you're doing 10 minutes, and you're walking away. No, 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 no. I do sitcoms. Sitcoms mean you're there for four to five hours. And every time the cast goes away to take a costume change or or the writers have to rewrite because the scene didn't work, you are on. So I I don't do any material to the end of the night because they didn't come to see me. They came to see the stars. You know, when people came to see Wings or um, Julie Louis-Dreyfus or Ted Danson on Becker, they come for the show. They come for that guy, that woman. And I'm the guy that over a period of time, they realize, oh, you're funny too. And then I can finally start doing material. Wow. But the bulk of what I, yeah, in TV warm-up, it's, it's audience interaction. You jump in. I just start ad-libbing, and that's where I've, I've honed my skills mm-hmm. on interviews and ad-libbing with an audience. And it's, it's fantastic with, because that will translate to a club. So anytime in my act that, uh, you know, we're not connecting, I will just stop my material and dive into the audience. And because I've been doing it for so long, I have no fear because... I can get out of this one. And also, I've got a Rolodex of all my material that I can always go back to. Um, so I use a little bit of it when I'm doing TV warm-up. You know, if I talk to a nurse, I can do some medical jokes. If I'm talking to a teacher, I can do some uh, stuff about my childhood as a, as a kid or my teachers. You, you kind of supplement it with little dollops of humor. But for the most part, it's working off the moment and having a good time and then bringing it back to the 
TV show. So, okay, so what does that really, I mean, I don't want to get too detailed into it, but what does that really, like, look at? Because you said it takes about four hours, right, it, it, depending yeah. on what happens. So are you, like, running games? Like, what are you doing to keep the crowd okay, like, comfortable? Are you giving out prizes? Like, how does that work? If you're not doing stand-up, you know, necessarily, are you interviewing people? Are you, like, what What would that You have a great happen? question. The answer to everything is yes. Uh, the, the, the way I work it is, uh, I call it, bring a different trick out of your bag every time you have an audience break. So, yes, I will bring, I'll find out where people are from and bring people down from the furthest land. You know, I always get somebody who's coming from Israel or from France. I'll bring both of them down and I'll talk about their countries. And I'll add, I've got certain jokes I'm going to throw in, but let's find out about that. Okay, that's over. We go back to the show. We come back. I know I've got a 10-minute break. Hey, 10-minute break. I'll play the dating game. I'll bring down this bachelorette. I'll bring three bachelors, and I make it forced ad living. I'll make them come up with stuff, but I get to react off whether they're good or bad, mm. and the audience loves it. Okay, we're back to the show. We come back. I've got a DJ. We'll let, I need to boost the energy up. Let's have a dance contest. Let's bring people down. People love to be stars. All right, that bit's over. Let's bring people down and give away Norman Lear's latest book. He just signed it, and we're going to give it to one audience member. So I will interview each of them and find out and so it just keeps going that the whole night something new every time they come back um, if there's an old folks home I will go over to interview and, and talk to them about what it was like when you were growing up and I'll throw in my jokes and help them I'll find the couple that's been married the longest and I'll go and interview about what their first date was how they got married wow. it's endless you just find anybody in the audience and then when you're doing a comedy club you can spend maybe 30 seconds with that person ad lib and get out right. you're in a TV show Oh no! If 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 you're mining for gold, and if you find gold, oh, you use it all night long. <laughs> I mean, I had a nuclear, I had a nuclear physicist from Alabama, when one time on old Christine. I'm telling you, that was good for four hours of experience just there. Like, well, I think this the button. I don't really know. It was like, his accent was so damn funny. That's crazy. But, a, a nuclear yeah, so, physicist from Alabama. <laughs> you're going to tell me is uh, we're going to have a president from, I don't know, from Texas. <laughs> no, no, that's too crazy. No, <laughs> so when it, comes, when it comes to that, uh, that experience then, it sounds to me like you're taking the, the given situation, much like you would have to if you're doing improv comedy, where you're taking what's given to you, but then you're, the questions you're asking, it, it's almost as if you're asking questions that will give you an opportunity to use some of your material that you've prepared over the last 30 years. Is that correct? You're exactly correct. Yeah. And the audience doesn't that, but that's, that's how you build an act. You've mm. got to be able to feel the audience, know what they need, and then yes, you're exactly right. You drop in things where you, 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 you ask open-ended questions. You know, what's the most interesting thing about your country? You don't just go, oh, so you can ask them what they do, and if it's fun, you play off of that. But you try to get things from them that are interesting for the audience. And that's mm. the art of the interview. Mm. People are interested. Oh, this guy's from France. I wonder what is the difference between male, women here and women there? You know, how do you ask a girl out in France? Well, you know what? Let's bring, let's bring a girl down. Let's see how you do it. And, you know, so put, uh, you know, a little, little rubber to the metal. Put your pedal to the metal. I can't even think of the analogy I'm looking for. You've got to put flesh on the bone. 
Yeah. You just have to okay. dig it, dig a big enough hole to bury a body in. I don't. I'm not sure where Robert's getting these. He's, he's getting these great little equilibriums. That's, that's like okay. So okay, that's fascinating. The way you're talking about how this worked out because it sounds like, and especially when you're writing, when you take a session of your own, when you when you're asking all these questions anyway. So like when you're when you're writing a bit or uh, uh, about a certain you know joke. Like you're just saying, okay, well, what about that person, and and you know, what is it about this, and what is it about that? You're like you're asking all these questions, so it's almost like you're building material on the fly. That's fascinating to do that right then and there. Well, what you're, I love what you're saying. That's exactly right. It's once you know the craft of comedy, then you know you use your improv technique, but okay, you use exaggeration, mm. you use twist. Um, let's go back to if I'm talking about the very first caveman. Okay, yeah, it's like that's now. Let's go to what will happen in the future? What happened in the past? What what would it be like if I did this? Right. You, your mind always going on that Rolodex with, oh, I wonder what it would be like in this situation. Mm. Well, what if Julia Child did this job? You know, then you go, if you do a voice, it's like, I wonder what it would be like if Jimmy Stewart had your job. And then, you know, it's like, you just, there's endless things to do. Um, you just have to be able to have a comic mind that understands the craft. If you go up there naked without the training, you will die. Okay. There's absolutely no doubt about it. Yeah. You have to be to always fall back on something, a, a skill that you have to, to, well, dig yourself out of that hole if you're in one. And sometimes it's just ask for the next person because this one is dead. Because you definitely get boring, boring people. And you can't make fun of them because they've come to a show. And that, <laughs> to get to another difference of a stand-up comedy club, if you get a real jerk, uh, you can't ask the people to make them leave. You just have to gently, you know, go, go to somebody else and try not to give them too much focus. Not nobody heckles you in a TV show, yeah. but man, um, you get some, you get some people like, oh, you don't have much of a life, do you? That's <laughs> interesting. Wow. Are you yeah, familiar you, with, uh, um, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. What were you going to say? Do I know? What? Oh, are you familiar with uh, Pete Holmes and his show Crashing? What, are, are you talking about, uh, is that the HBO show? Yeah, well there's a, I was I saw a clip about him actually doing that exactly, uh, um, doing a show, a TV show. He was asked to do a warm-up, TV warm-up, like he first was introduced to that. And there was a scene, because it's basically going off what you were saying. There was a scene where he kind of took it, where he thought he was approaching it with just doing stand-up. And he started like like embarrassing the crowd and it just didn't work out at all it started crashing on him big time because he didn't understand the uh the format that you're talking about until he figured out yep. the format then it was like oh it just became a sweet job for him so throughout the throughout the uh, episode you could see uh the different uh dynamics of you know doing a warm-up show versus doing stand-up and, and that pretty much crystallizes it right there you're exactly right mm -hmm. so Robert, let me ask you this: um, Over the time, over the years, you've you've made your niche in the sitcom warm-up, but you have also continued to develop uh, new material, new shows, CDs, DVDs, those types of things. So, how do you uh, how do you juxtaposition the mm -hmm. the time uh, of what you're doing on set at a sitcom? And how do you find time to write and develop material and, and have the two different approaches to comedy kind of happening almost simultaneously? Well, that's 
really what makes it fun. It's, mm. it, it is, I love TV warm-up, but I will tell you, it's like falling off a log now. There's no preparation for that. Mm. I work much harder on my stand-up and much harder on a 20-minute set in some podunk club where no one's ever going to see me because I'm working on making that material as stinking funny as I can get it. Mm. That is where the real craft comes in. Mm. And that's, you know, I still tape my sets on, you know, I use um, iMovie now. And so I don't know if you guys, a lot of people, I used to tape record it, but now I use my phone. And what's great is if, <laughs> when you play it back, you can tell when, the, when it goes into the yellow zone, it's overmodulated. And that means the audience laughed a lot. So I will go through my routines and look for yellow. That's what I do lately. Wow. So how do I do it? Um, I, I just I get that premise and I just beat it up and I just keep going. Sometimes I'll try it out as a TV warm up, but the real challenge is to it, the stand up is so much harder. It really is. What is a skill that once you get it down, oh, you're just you know, you just it's like putting on an old comfortable shoe. It's really not hard. Then you get some tough audiences every once in a while, but you just learn to ride that wave and you know, oh, they need to be goose now. Whoops, I got to work harder now. Okay, oh, I can ride this for a little while. Okay, now mm. they're getting tired. I got to hit them again. With the stand-up crowd, you go out there. You it's just like everything I do in TV warm-ups will take five hours. I got to condense it down to twenty minutes. So it is a different sensibility, but it's just as much fun, if not more fun. I because I, I I love the oh man, I got you know I gave them that twist. They didn't see it coming. The writing is what I love. That's where I started. That's what I I love more than anything else. So. Oh. How do I do it? You just sit up and you, and you write the material. Okay. I always tell people, why aren't you funny? Because you're not doing the work. You're lazy. Face it. You just think you're going to get up on stage. And I will say, that was a mistake I made for years. It's like I wasn't preparing my stand-up as much as I should have because I was doing so much TV warm-up. It's like, ah, I'll just get up on stage and I'll ad lit my way out of this. Oh, that's when I really learned some hard lessons. Like, no, you come totally prepared with all your material totally worked out. I'm very anal. I have to work it out. Mm. And then, if you have to, sure, ad lib and leave that little section for fun, but then go right back to that material. Because that's how you get, I'm going to do dry bar comedy, hopefully, in September, October. We're working on a date. And I only got that because I did a set at the improv. They taped it. It was just one of those flukes where then sent it to the agent, then sent it to dry bar. But it wasn't because I was up on stage ad libbing. I had a tight set and I worked on it. Mm. Okay, that, that's so great because we've always had conversations on this show um, about uh, writing because we have some comics that are just starting the thing and then we have some comics who have their opinions, uh, whether it's like you have to do you know 10,000 hours in order to get really good. and So everybody has their, um, their method, but it really boils down to the preparation of your set and how you how much time you're going to put into your 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 um your set so do you when you get when you take the approach of writing are you um are you pen and paper or are you digital uh when you write and is there i don't want to, i'm not asking for like a certain method but is there is there a way that um that helps you uh generate um, other than you know jumping on it and ad libbing and, and going through, is there a way? Is there a method or um, something that you have that makes it easy for you to start just churning away? Does that make sense? Oh, that makes perfect sense, and it is always interesting to see how different people do it. Uh, for me, I am I'm the computer guy. You know, I've, whether it's my iPad while I'm on the road or at my computer, it's like um, yeah, I can do it by hand. 
hand, but I have such bad handwriting. I can see the rhythm of the joke better when I type it out. Okay. Um, the way I keep doing material is I don't do open mics anymore. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to waste that material. But I do have lunch with certain comedian friends. I try to time it out like every two weeks with different comics, and we go over each other's material. Mm. So I have to come prepared. So the pressure of always having a you got to have new material. Some guys, they write their 15 minutes, and they coast on that for a year. No, no, no. I'm always writing new stuff and putting it in the middle of my act to try it out. Because those really good gigs, those 45-minute gigs, they can be few and far between. And so when you do that, I always tell people, how do you want to get booked again? Well, you have tons of material. I call it ammunition. Every audience is... It's like it's a competition between me and them. And how much ammunition? How much can I pull out? It's like you thought, oh, you, you don't like stuff about men and women? Okay, how about kids? You don't like kids? Okay, how about work? You don't like work? How about this? You've got to have material mm. about so many different subjects, and it only happens when you write. So my process is, I get something I think is funny, and I write it down, and then I then I squeeze it, and I go, that's just an average joke. Seinfeld has a great bit. He, he talks about it. I think it was in comedian. He goes, you know. Every joke, it's, it's trying out for the team. Are you good enough to make the team? And yeah, I love you, and you know, you got a lot of potential, but sorry, that guy, he, that killer joke over there, he's my leadoff player, and you're not good enough to make the team. Mm. So I tell comics coming up, and when they look, one of, my, one of my favorite comments I gave to, a, I opened up, with, I was with another comic, and she did a long set, and she said, be honest, what did you think? I said, you had 25 minutes crammed into a 45-minute set. Wow. Oh, wow. Jumped. So, <laughs> it took forever, meandered, eventually got to a punchline. Like, it's just not my way of working. I believe it. No, you get that. Leno always told everybody, you time your sets. And if you're not getting a laugh every six to eight seconds, you've got to go back and look at it. It's either you, it's the audience, or it's your material. And the audience is the last thing you check off. It's probably you or the material. Mm -hmm. And the odds are, it's the material. <laughs> so I tell everybody to squeeze your material. I look at my jokes and I go, you know what, that's just sort of average. The opening's good, the closing's good, that middle, i got to rewrite it. I'll just keep rewriting it until I either find it or squish it down to just two jokes. So I don't have to go on stage with anything that's just sort of half thought out. Mm. I, I've really written it, looked at it again, said it out loud, done it to my friends, and bothered my wife with it so that I think, okay, let's go. Um, that's sort of the process. Wow, that's awesome. So let me ask you this then. Uh, you look back over the years uh, that you've been doing this, uh, you've had opportunities to meet some pretty incredible people. Yeah. Um, what, what do you think is probably one or two of the best pieces of advice that you have received from someone in your career over those years? Wow, that's great. I will say, here's, here's my, the number one observation, and that is, in Hollywood, or with fame, you become what you always were. Now, by that I mean, if you were a jerk, and you're trying to make it in this business, and <laughs> you hide it until you make it, and then you don't have to hide it anymore, and everyone realizes, oh, wow, you really became a flaming fill-in-the-blank. Uh, <laughs> there but people like, I will give two examples. Ted Danson from Cheers and Becker, uh -huh. and Julie Louis-Dreyfus from Old Christine, of course, you know, Seinfeld and now Veep. 
are the best people you would ever want to meet because they're just great people. They're both highly successful, but they appreciate what they have, and they're they're kind to everyone. I mean, Julie would give me a hug every time we started off a season. Ted would come over and play with me during the show. But there are the other actors and producers who are so insecure that they are just angry or they're needy or wow. they backbite or stab. It's like, and, and they become people that you don't want to work with. And here's a big clue. People in, in the clubs don't want to work with you either. I've seen people with riders 25 feet long. They'll say, you know what, just be a regular person. Just be a normal human being. So when you ask for the many pieces of advice, that's my number one. Be a good person mm. because nobody wants to work with anybody who's a jerk. Right. And so I try really right. hard just to be a guy that isn't going to have a, link, a long list of demands. I want to be easy. Yeah, I want to be professional, but I want, I want to leave and have you go, I will work with that guy again because he was great. That's you right. always know, you guys work a club. You know what it's like to work with that guy that gives you a bad taste in your mouth. Yep. Yeah, yeah, he was funny, he's, but he's a jerk. I don't want to work with him again. I don't care how funny he is. So, so, best piece of, so what you're saying you know, is, what you're saying is, you, you you may not want to come do a show at at, <laughs> at Gutty's because of me. Is that what you're saying? It's all my fault. Dennis, it is all your fault. It's <laughs> <laughs> <That is> perfect. <laughs> Man, that is that is great. That is great advice too, because um, it's just a lot. Well, here's the things we were talking about. Uh, Dennis and I were talking earlier about um, how uh, a lot of comics are looking for the um, what was it the um, validation, you know, yeah. uh, valid. You want to get that validation, and and um, and we were trying to you were trying to just talk about the differences between validation through you know. Someone else that our peers or our comics, our comedians, you know, we want that validate. We want them to know that hey, I'm funny, and we want them to look at us as hey, you know, he's one of the funny guys. Or the validation between when we're on stage and we're performing, and our validation is coming from the laughters from the people, from the crowd, you know. And it's like okay, that joke hit really good, and it's like that validates the fact that I do and I'm good at what I uh, what I'm doing. And so like, uh, I guess the question is. Do you feel like you've had the that that same pull of getting validation uh, from what you do, um, and and it's through like either through comedy or through others, or is it just you know have, have you ever challenged or have you ever been challenged that way? Well, what you're talking about is every comic goes through a simple thing called insecurity. Try and find a comic who's secure. Yeah. There's not a there's not a comic alive. We're all insecure. <laughs> All right, I was really fun last week. What about this week? You know, they may not like me. And then I'll, and, but you, you have to have this balance of confidence okay. because the audience can all smell insecurity. So you have to go out there as if you're the funniest person on the planet, and yet you can't make, you can't rely or have your um, ego stroked or validated by the audience or by anybody else. You have to have total confidence. But mm. yet we're all such insecure creatures that it's an impossible balance that'll never be worked out. So what you've asked, it is an impossible, I have no advice on this other than, please, please don't be so damn needy. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that's, I, real. I say this to, I say this to younger comics quite often, that it, it comes down to a couple pieces of understanding. You have to have the confidence that in, in your own ability you have to have 
a trust and a, and, and a complete conviction mm. that the material that you have written is funny. Mm. And you have to believe in it and trust that it's going to it's going to do its job when you deliver it for an audience, and uh, and then uh, you've got to be able to take uh, and embrace the suck because there are going to be those moments where you're going to bomb. You're going to have shows where you just nothing hits. Uh, whether it's an audience just doesn't get you whether you were woefully yeah. ill prepared to understand the audience which is more times than not that's the case yeah but whatever it is you're gonna have those moments where you're gonna suck embrace it and say okay what can I learn from this moment of suck so I can get better at the craft exactly and the longer you do it those those sucky shows become fewer and farther between and also you learn to roll with it just a little bit easier and every comic has got those great stories like what's your best bombing story yeah it's just so much fun we could spend days doing it but if you get stuck in that then it's like you're not moving on you just have to you know just just get more good days than bad days but you're absolutely right have confidence that your material's good and present it well and hopefully the audience i mean it's, it's always nice to have the audience love you it is but yeah. ultimately you're going home to your wife your kids your friends that's where real life is. I, you, you can't get caught up in, I get my validation from the audience. Because believe me, I've been in Hollywood long enough, I've seen them turn on a star in a heartbeat. Like, mm. you were popular? Well, your show's canceled, now you're not. So I, I've been very fortunate to be behind the scenes because my career has been much longer. I always tell people if I was famous for five minutes, you know, I, I, I'd be unemployed right now instead of you know, selling $5 autographs at Comic-Con. I'd be miserable. Right now, okay. Let me ask you this: since we're since uh, we're in that kind of like in that vein of, okay, since we know that we always preach here on this on the on this show that, and especially to other comics, that clean is green, okay, to do clean versus blue, and this has always been like I think it's just been an, this is going to always be a an issue that we're going to be talking about, but we've always stood on doing clean material versus. Uh, blue and I wanted to get your opinion on on that part of or that that aspect of comedy uh, because we're dealing with a lot of comedians that um, that want to do clean. Some of them say it's a challenge for me because I'm I, I can't do clean because it's you know I'm always going to be a, and so I just wanted to get your opinion on what you thought um, of of clean versus versus blue material. Well, I, I think I may be preaching to the choir here, but I think you'll you'll. Get, get very quickly my opinion on this, and that is that I think being blue is nothing but a crutch. And if you're blue, it's just showing you don't have the talent to be funny without cursing. You're just using shock value, and that's it. Leno's talked about this. He used to talk about Andrew Dice Clay saying, I, I, I can't find the joke. I, I know where the audience is laughing, but I can't find the joke. Mm. Uh, you, the craft of comedy comes from finding a twist. Finding, and I understand you got to find out where your line is. But it's so easy to get sucked into the world of, oh, they laughed a lot when I talked about that. Mm -hmm. um, I was with a comic the other day, and he says, you know what? If I've heard this joke once, I've heard it a million times. And people say, you know when you're watching porn and your roommate comes in and interrupts you, and then they go, hey, Mom, give me some privacy. Right. Like, he says, I haven't heard it once. I haven't heard it 30 times. I've heard it a thousand times because it is the lowest common denominator. Well, I'll tell you why you want to work clean. 
to differentiate yourself from other comics. And green is clean is green. You're absolutely right. You are going to make more money because then no one what people don't realize about bookers. And I'm not just talking about people who book you in clubs. I'm talking about producers on TV shows. I'm talking about the secretary to the president of a corporation. They are afraid for their job. And so if they bring in anyone who even smacks of something that will get them fired, you're not going to make it. Mm. But if you walk in and, okay, I can relax. Producers hire me because they know I'll do a good job because they don't want the executive producer saying, hey, this guy's not funny. Your your job's on the line. Um, So, yeah, I work churches. I work corporations. Now, granted, it's my own personal sensibility, but people, I can get teenagers to grandparents coming to my show. I don't have a segment of the audience that I can't perform for. I can perform for anybody, anywhere. Now, I will admit, Blue makes some people money. Um, we, we pitched the show to HBO. Gosh, it's, it's been many years, but they said, well, why would we do that? Uh, we were pitching a Blue versus Clean and, you know, have a competition, let the audience decide who's funnier. Well, HBO has a, they, they only wanted the Blue material because they had to have something because of their programming that wouldn't play on network television. Okay, that was a one-time event. But everything else, all network television, everything that happened, it always works better clean. I'll give you one more story. Comedy club out here called Igby's. It was my club. I performed in it. I was the MC. That's where I cut my teeth and I saw everybody. Mm. And they had a rule. Now, then it was Carson. It was like, if you can't say it on The Tonight Show or Carson, you can't say it here. So it was always a clean club. Well, Robin Williams came in, and God love Robin Williams. I'm not saying anything against him, but he was big enough, a big enough star that he would start cursing. Yeah. And the owner went, no, it's Robin Williams. Okay, fine. Well, the other comic said, hey, if Robin can do it, then I can do it. And so pretty soon, the shows were no holds barred, and they were filthy. Filthy, I mean, much more than they ever were. And within six months, that club was dead. It had a reputation. It had an audience that wanted to come see clean humor, and they trusted it. And then it turned on them, and the audience went away, and the place went bankrupt. Wow. It was the saddest day of my life. You could trace it all back to Robin Williams saying, I'll say whatever I want to say. So I understand freedom of speech, but to me, you're only clever if you could do a joke without a curse word. Because if you have to throw in a curse word, the joke isn't funny, the shock value is funny. I know when when uh, when we run an open mic, you know, the, the thing that I, I always start out with uh, at the uh, comics meeting is to say, okay, uh, this is a clean room, so there's no cursing. And we don't need any uh, descriptive uh, language about body parts. Right. Yeah. Be- because yeah. that's the other thing is, uh, okay, I can say something, and it's, technically it's not cursing, but if if you're if you're having to talk about body parts, that uh, you know, just because again you're looking to get a little bit of that shock or uh, the uncomfortable laugh, you're not being clever in your writing. And so, please do the work. And right, clever. Mm. Yeah. So on those, you know, they always have contests out here in LA, and so I'll go to support some of my younger comic friends. And, and I mean, it's just it just becomes a running joke that if I go to a show where it's nothing but female comics, and I'm sorry, it's the same thing. It's like I just want to stop each one to go before you start. Let me take a wild stab. I bet you have a vagina. Now continue with your material. <laughs> exactly. <I> <laughs> Because it's like this is this is hot. This is fresh. 
crazy. I, I skipped that class, that part of uh, biology class. I, I should have gone. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah. Well, Robert, let me ask you this. Uh, I, I know you've you've had a number of uh, film projects that that you have, uh, and I don't know for sure if you've produced them yourself, but I know you've been very very involved. Uh, Can I get a witness protection? Uh, is is one that that yeah. pops into my mind right away, but uh, with with the, the projects that you've already done, um, what's what's next? What's coming up for Robert G. Lee? Uh, what's the next big uh, uh, challenge that you've set for yourself, and uh, what can we be watching for? Well, it's a, it's a great question and one that you almost have to go back to looking at our society and where we're going and what we're doing. Um, I always tell people that, you know, obviously I come from a, a Christian worldview. That, that's my, that's how, where I do my comedy. That's, that's just who I am. And other people have different opinions about different things. I don't want to cram it down everybody's throat, but that just happens to be who I am. Mm-hmm. Well, as far as the marketing out there, um, Christian music was always bad, but then Amy Grant and Michael W. Smith came in, and if you remember back your, your those singers way back when, and all of a sudden, oh, contemporary Christian music, well, that's just as good as um, regular music. Oh, that there's some really good artists out there. And then the next wave was videos, and that's why VeggieTales was so popular. It's like, oh, it's a Christian worldview, but it's entertaining and it's great. Well, I thought, okay, the next wave is going to be movies, because there have to be some faith-based films, because equipment's getting cheaper, and now they are ready. Uh, the, the market is ready. Well, I was wrong. The market is ready for faith-based films. And you can see there are a lot of really good ones that are out there. Um, uh, the, I, I Can Only Imagine came out last year, and that was great. Uh, but there has not been a successful faith-based comedy. People have tried it, and there's, the problem is, and I, I mean, this is just from seeing what happened to my film, the gatekeepers are tr- they're trying, the moralists try to, are trying to protect quote, their flock. So uh, mm. with can I get a witness protection? The whole plot of it is like some like it hot. You get a guy who witnesses a gangland murder. They, they put him in protective custody in a church. The first day of the job, the head pastor has a heart attack and dies. And so the young guy has to take over the church. The guy knows nothing about the faith. He has to take over. And, you know, and comedy ensues. Well, what happened was the gatekeeper said, oh, wait a minute. You have a person who's not a pastor behind the pulpit. We, we can't give that to our audience. And so very uptight Christian bookstores yeah, yeah. and distributors started saying, oh, no, 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 we must protect our flock. That's like, you've got to be kidding me. Mm-hmm. So because there are 85 million people that go to church every single week. It's almost bigger than all those sports combined. But there's humor there, and people, that's why stand-up comedy is the strongest and best way to get to that crowd. Because I don't think you'll see a faith-based comedy in a movie for years to come until those gatekeepers decide, until there's one breakthrough hit. There have been a couple that are, well, it's sort of funny, well, it's sort of okay, but there are no real comedies. So, as far as what I'm doing, I have, I've got a pile of scripts, and if, if things ever change, I will gladly jump back into it. Hmm. But the danger is, you're get, you have to raise a million dollars, two million dollars, and there is no return on investment that you can guarantee your backers, and I have such huge guilt, I don't want to do it again. Yeah, I love to write them. I love to direct them. I've got fantastically talented people, but I will have to wait for that market to change. So I have gone back into 
doing stand-up comedy full-time. I'm, I'm going around, the, I'm, I'm working on a one-man show. I'm, I'm writing a book right now. Because, um, well, the book is called What's the Big Idea? Mm. A Comedian Explains God, the Universe, and Other Minor Stuff. <laughs> so I'm, because uh, I find that um, that there's one, and it's, it's my point of view that I believe we can all, there's so much dis, um, dissension and so much arguing, arguing in the world today, and everyone's mad about everything. I said, what's one thing we can all agree on? We can all agree in the Big Bang. There's not a scientist that disagrees with it. Every faith-based person says, God made the universe. Sure, I believe in the Big Bang. I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a point of commonality that we can go off on. So I've taken this book, and I'm saying, here are all the facts, and they're amazing. They're astounding. I've been, I'm, I'm neck deep in physics right now hmm. on how, how God and then how he made the world and how he made the body and then I'm saying now let me introduce you to the person who said they did that and then from that point I take it down step by step by step until it's it's my evidence that demands a verdict by Josh McDowell it's my the case for Christ by Lee Strobel I'm okay. trying to get a comedian's view a smart aleck view that will marry physics and faith and mm -hmm. that's my big big project that I'm writing a one man show from that and I want to take that around uh, on stage because it's hard to get movies. Again, I want to do movies. I've got a, a Christmas musical that I've written with a friend. We love it. I don't know if I can get the money to get it off the ground, but mm. I can. I'm the cheapest one I can hire as a stand-up, and that I can do. So <laughs> I am spending a lot of my time working on my own individual uh, one-man show. That's awesome. Well, Robert, I um, want to thank you for yeah. for taking the time to sit down and visit with us uh, to give us some insight, kind of pull the curtain back a little yeah. bit on something that. Uh, we have not had a chance to visit with anybody that has been there, done that, yeah. with crowd warm-up for any sitcoms, and to to see uh, the lessons you've learned there and how that applies and how it can be used in stand-up. So I appreciate you taking the time and to share your insight and wisdom with us uh, today. The only fact that this is being recorded is going to be the only uh, evidence that I said you were uh, wise in any category or whatever. Um, <laughs> Thank you. I'm glad we, well, you can edit it out. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 I could go in and edit it out, but that means I'd have to actually do some work on the editing side of this. And boy, that's just uh, that's more difficult for me than people really realize. Uh, so. Yeah, and I want to say thanks, too. It's my first time really meeting you, so I, I appreciate your time and appreciate the wisdom that you shared with us uh, today, and I'm hoping that uh, there'll be more of this in the future, too, as well. Well, I, will, I want to let everybody know uh, that Robert and I have been, been talking, and we are trying to work out the details uh, because uh, Robert mentioned earlier that he is uh, he's a Hoosier by, uh, by birth. Yes. Not by choice. He, <laughs> He left as quick as he could. I don't. I'm not sure about that. Uh, but because he is a Hoosier, he's uh, he'll be coming through the Indiana area. And when he comes through, he and I are trying to put the dates together so we can have him uh, on for a couple of shows at Gutty's Comedy Club. Yeah. Uh, and and we really haven't talked a whole lot about this, but uh, we're getting real close to locking in the lease on the venue for. Gutty's Comedy Club, downtown Greenwood, Indiana, yeah, yeah. and uh, so we uh, we will definitely once we get that locked into place, we're definitely going to have Robert uh, as he comes through. We're going to have him on stage. That'd be awesome. And so you may get to see a little bit of his one man show, how a comedian can make fun of uh, the gospel and <laughs> get away with it. 
Is that what the, is that what the name of the show is? <laughs> that's that's what I'm going to call it from now on. Uh, Robert G. Lee making fun of the gospel and getting away with it. Uh, but no, he will be coming through, awesome. and, and I'm I'm really excited yeah. about uh, having you come in and hit hit the stage at uh, Gutty's Comedy Club. Uh, once we get that all locked into place and get get that up and rolling, we'll get you here back home. Back home again yeah, in a... Indiana. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. So, anyway, <laughs> hey, it's been it's been great uh, catching up and chatting with you, Robert. I appreciate you stopping in here on the Pops and the Rican Show. Yeah. Well, Dennis, the thief, it's been a pleasure. I thank you very much for having me on. Well, yeah. that uh, wraps everything up for us here on the Pops and the Rican Show. I uh, I'm Pops, and I'm the Rican, and this has been the, the Pops, Pops and the Rican. Rican Show. Thank you. All right, Robert. Thank you so much. Oh, total pleasure. Man, it's um, great. Yeah, so now I've got to see what the uh, the schedule is for the TV show that just got picked up today. So it may or may not bump that October date. But um, there's always there's always three weeks on, one week off, and I'll find a week that I can get out there. Cause yeah, my mom just wants me to come out no matter what. And if I could sing for my supper at your club, that'd be fantastic. That would be well, awesome. We uh, we would love to have you yeah. if you're if you're blowing through, come in and blow up at our place. Yep. <laughs> so that'd be great. Do you have a target date of what, where you're thinking of landing uh, after you get the lease? Uh, we are we are lo looking to uh, have the grand opening show the ninth, not the weekend of the ninth, August ninth, August ninth and August August 9th and tenth will oh, be the grand Good. opening weekend. And uh, as of right now, um, I, I'm leaning pretty strongly to having. Uh, Joby Sad uh, here with uh, Dave the King Wilson. I don't know if you know Dave or not. Oh, of course, I started off with Dave. You bet. So uh, Dave and I are good friends, and and Joby and I are good friends, and so uh, I know Joby was on Dave's radio show a lot, and he, you know, when I mentioned the fact that uh, Dave has been. Really, he's been a great support to offering us advice and everything about establishing the club and and all of that. Uh, Joby was like, "So is Dave going to be there on the show?" And I'm like, "Well, let's see what I can do." So I'm trying to work that out so we can have uh, we may we have may have uh, Dave and Joby on uh, for our grand opening show, and hoping that it'll be a good draw because you know Dave was here till about 11 years ago. He was here with one liners in in Greenwood, and so. Uh, he's still pretty well uh, revered in terms of the Greenwood crowd and, and this side of uh, Indianapolis. So uh, it'd be cool. But yeah, we definitely want to get you on on stage here. So it'd be great, man. Definitely. Well, I appreciate the call. And I appreciate that. So we'll, we'll keep the lines of communication. When I get my TV scheduled, I'll, I'll work. I'll be able to know when I can. Fantastic. Suena el bombo. Pops and Rigas. Pops and Rigas. Look at this dude. <laughs> <laughs> Pops and Pops and Pops.